Good evening. Whenever we enter into a competition, a, a contest, whatever it is, um, no one's really going for second place, right? We don't really go into that. I really hope I get second place in this thing, right? No one watched the LSU game on Monday and said, I really hope LSU gets second place in the national championship, right? We're going for, for number one. That's just what we go for. We, shoot, we want to do the best. We want to perform as best as we can. Right, and so I was talking to someone earlier this week, right, about, um, and I think that's that's because we desire um, to be, we don't we don't want to be second rate. We want to be the number one. We want to be the chosen one. We want to be seen for for the gifts that we have, and we want those gifts to be acknowledged. And so, like these these things, like find my friends and the little Snapchat map thing, and all these things where you can kind of track everybody's going, and you know these instances where like, oh, they're all all my friends are doing this thing. Well, why didn't they tell me, right? Um, these, these instances, these very concrete instances, where that, that hurts us. It does something to us. We want to be chosen. We want to be like. We want to be the first choice, right? I say that because I think of that when I think of John the Baptist. Um, John the Baptist's whole mission was really almost like to be second place. The whole point of why he of why he came, his whole mission was to point to somebody else, not me, but him. Someone, someone greater is coming after me. He must increase, I must decrease. Wonder when, when Jesus was baptized, the heavens opened up and God the Father said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. What's John doing in that moment? Today in the Gospel he says, behold the Lamb of God. This, this is why I came, so that he might be made known to all of Israel. And I wonder if John ever struggled with that if he ever felt like he was just the second-place guy, how he felt as all of his disciples left him and went to Jesus. Right? I think that John, I wonder, how, how was John able to do that? John was able to do that. He had this certain purity in the way that he proclaimed the gospel. He had, a, he had an effectiveness. He had people from all of the whole region coming to listen to him. He did a lot of the work of Jesus for him. He had all these people ready to go, and he sent them right over to Jesus. I think John's purity of, the gospel, of his proclamation of the gospel, his purity of heart, and his effectiveness in that was because he knew without a doubt who he was before the Father and what his role was. He wouldn't have seen himself as like a second-place kind of guy because he would, that, that, that's the lie the devil would have tried to plant in him. But he knew exactly who he was before the Father. His whole life, he, he lived a life set apart in the wilderness, dedicated to prayer, to, to, to this relationship with Jesus. He acted on that. He sacrificed for his whole life because of that relationship. And because he experienced that love of the Father, that identity that he received from him, that's what he proclaimed to the people. And that's what attracted everyone to him. That's why people from all over the region would come out of the woodworks and come and listen to this guy speak. Because he was speaking something that changed hearts. Because his heart was changed, right? Most of the time, that's not how it works with us. Right? We very easily succumb to the various lies that the enemy throws at us. He knows that if he can get in, into that relationship, if he can make us doubt that relationship, then we're done for. 
if we're not acting out of that relationship, if we're just trying to check off boxes, if we're trying to do this or that or the other, eventually it's going to collapse. It's only a matter of time because we're not acting out of the source of where our faith has to come from. And maybe we can feel like we're a car that's stuck in the mud and the wheels are spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning, but the rut just keeps getting bigger and we don't seem to really be going anywhere. Because the, the devil has distracted us. He's taken us out of where our heart needs to be. And we think, if I just keep trying harder, if I just keep going, if I just keep trying harder and harder and harder, I'll finally get out. When in actuality, all it takes is for us to stop, to rest there, and to slowly allow ourselves to be pushed out of that rut by the Father who desires nothing more than to push us out of that. It takes us to stop and to rest in who we are. We're coming back from break, and I'm sure a lot of us are in very different places. Right? Maybe this is the first time I'm back in church in a couple weeks, a couple months. Maybe I was, I was faith. This is my, my Sunday routine. I'm here every night at 9 p.m., and this is just what I do. And this is great. Maybe it's that fire of love that keeps bringing me back. Maybe I have questions that I'm still trying to understand this whole God thing. Maybe I feel like that car that just keeps spinning the wheels, it doesn't seem to be going anywhere. We're all in a lot of different places, right? We all bring a lot of different things to the table. And I think what we do in that, wherever you are, is to, number one, praise God for that. And know that God has you in that spot for a reason, and that there's something that He desires to speak to your heart tonight, and this semester, to encourage you on that journey that you're on, that unique and individual journey that you're on with wherever you're at. Because if we're not able to acknowledge that right now, and to know that wherever I'm at right now, that God is with me, and that God is loving me, and that God is helping me and protecting me, and if I, if I can't accept that, then I'm never going to be able to move forward. I have to be okay with where I'm at right now, and know that God is with me right now, so that I can take those steps to move forward. So wherever you're at, know that God has that desire for you and that God is with you in that. And wherever we're at, whatever we're bringing to this Mass, the words that John the Baptist speaks to, to, to the people today in this Gospel are words that we can all hear. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold Him who takes away the sins of the world. Those words have something to say to every single one of us tonight. Why does John say that? Why does John call Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world? The Passover was the central feast of the Jewish religion. Everything about Judaism revolved around the Passover. The Passover was where a lamb would be prayed over and sacrificed and eaten so that all the sins of the people would be forgiven. Passover represented the entire desire of the whole people of Israel, waiting for one day when this fulfillment would come, when we wouldn't have to keep sacrificing. The whole people longed for that desire, for this desire of their hearts to come and to offer them salvation. And John says, Jesus is the Lamb of God. Not the Lamb that's sacrificed, but the Lamb of God, who doesn't just take away the sins of the people of Israel for a year, but who takes away the sins of the whole world forever. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
words that are so important that we say that every single time we come to Mass. I've been a priest for, for about seven months now, um, and the six years before this, I'd gone to Mass every single day at the seminary. And I thought I'd kind of, I'd, I, I knew, I'd, after seeing it every day for six years, I knew what happened at Mass. The priest said this, we say this, we do that, we come, we may all have that experience. We know what happens at Mass. There's particular moments, though, just as a priest celebrating the Mass, that struck me in ways that I didn't really expect it. I'd heard the priest say the opening prayer, the preface, all these prayers that change every Mass, but it strikes me just, I'm, I'm, I'm usually what I would honestly do is kind of, I try to listen, but then eventually just tune it out. But saying the words impacts me a little bit, because I'm thinking about what I'm saying, and I'm praying for whatever the particular intention of the Mass is, and that's prayers that I'm, I'm, the priest says, for, for y'all. There's prayers that the priest says privately that I didn't really pay any attention to beforehand, but actually are, are very moving as I pray those prayers, asking God for faithfulness, for fidelity, for his grace, for, for forgiveness. Of course, the words of the Eucharistic prayer, this is my body, this is my blood. Those words that bring Jesus here. And every Mass... Before we receive communion, the priest holds the, the, the bread and the wine, the body and the blood, and says, Behold the Lamb of God. And usually what happens, as, as I'm in that moment, those moments whenever I'm, I'm hearing those lies of the devil, whenever I'm doubting myself, when I'm doubting what God has called me to, whenever I feel like, you know, the homily wasn't really that good, I'm not really, am, am I, do I even have the gifts to do this? Am I, I'm questioning the fruitfulness of the mission. Are we even doing anything here? Like, and I'm, all these lies of the devil are, are, are creeping in and out. I have all these anxieties and cares weighing me down. In the midst of all of that, I get the incredible gift to hold, with, with all of us, to hold the Eucharist before us and say, Behold the Lamb of God who comes and takes all of that away, who comes to be with me in the midst of all those anxieties, those worries, those fears. He comes to take away all of our sins. And how blessed are we who are called to that? How blessed are we who he comes to be with us in the midst of whatever those things are? After that, we say beautiful words that highlight, I think, our reaction to, to what we might say in the midst of that. Yeah, God comes, but, but not me. But I have this sin, but I have this struggle. I keep failing, I keep falling, I can't do any of this right. I'm just, it's not just lining up for me. God must be calling somebody else. He doesn't have me in this, in this grand plan, right? It's a temptation um, that I think we all fall to every now and then. And the person who's struggling with that is the person who I want to talk to. The one who's doubting whether or not this all can be true. How can God come to me and call me to this great, this great union, this great relationship that he desires? There's words um, by St. Bernard of Clairvaux. It's this commentary he wrote on the Song of Songs that have stuck with me ever since I read it that, um, that I think speak to this very, this very experience. He says that any soul, even laden with sins, captive of its vices, held by its pleasures, imprisoned in its exile, locked up in its body, nailed to its worries, 
distracted by its concerns, frozen by its fears, struck by manifold sufferings, going from error to error, eaten up by anxiety, ravaged by suspicion, and lastly, a stranger in a foreign land. Every soul, I say, can still find in itself reasons not only to hope for forgiveness and mercy, but even to aspire to the wedding feast of the Lamb. As long as it does not fear to sign a covenant with God and to place itself with Him under the yoke of love. Whatever one of those things jumped out at you, whether it's sins and errors, sufferings, worries, anxiety, suspicion, wherever you're at, the Lord, the Lord that doesn't hold Him back. Nothing holds him back. That's why when we say, Behold the Lamb of God, we say, Lord, I'm not worthy that I should should come into this relationship. I'm not worthy to have you come into my roof. But you still desire to heal me. You still say the word that brings me fulfillment, salvation, and healing. You still draw me into this relationship because you're with me in that. And at that moment, and that experience of seeing Jesus, that experience of receiving him in communion, at receiving his mercy in the sacrament of confession, at sharing our hearts with him in our own prayer before adoration or before the blessed sacrament, that makes that reality present in our lives right now. So that against the temptation to say, yeah, but not me, Jesus says, no, it's you too. I call you into this great supper. We all here are called to this great supper of the Lamb into this relationship. And it all starts with our acceptance of that. You know, we talk about we want to set this campus on fire, right? That's what we're here for. This whole place isn't here to call people in, but to send people out. It's a missionary endeavor to send us out to have that love of God made real. And it all begins by our own acceptance of that. It all begins by letting God behold us wherever we're at. That's why I hold up the the bread and the wine, the, the body and the blood, and I say, behold the Lamb of God, but really He's beholding us just as we're beholding Him. And that's where it all begins, by letting God behold us in that moment and at every moment, behold us wherever we're at, letting Him see all of us and holding nothing back, because He desires to call all of us to that great supper. Behold this Lamb of God who does this for us. And how blessed are we who are called to that supper of the Lamb. That although we're not worthy, although we have all these problems that we're going to try to throw up, He says the word that heals us. He says the word that casts all that away. Let us listen. As we say those words today, let let those words sink in. Lord, I'm not worthy. But you heal me, you choose me, and you call me to be yours. This great gift and this great relationship. And how blessed are we who are called to that relationship. Amen.